The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What do you do when you've done all you can and there's nothing more you can do, but it's not enough? I mean, right now we're like in the Olympic season and we, of course, we focus on the ones who are winning the medals. Really, we focus on the gold medalists, right? And, we, and you know, we're excited right now. I mean, the U.S. is kind of taking it away and the medals and kind of celebrating a guy like Michael Phelps, the most decorated medal uh, Olympian of all time with his 23 golds. And, and we usually focus on, on those individuals. But, you know, you know in the race, there's people who've done all they can they gave it all they got, and it wasn't enough. And there, there's somebody who comes in last place. And then forget them, there's the people who never even made it, right? They gave it all they had, and it wasn't enough. And, and so what most of us do, because we are hardwired and trained this way, particularly as Americans, we are, we're trained, we're hardwired to be self-reliant. What that means is I'm going to do it myself. I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to research more. I'm going to find a way to fix the problem. And I don't need really anybody else to help me. And I, I feel like I can say that emphatically about you. I feel like I know my, my church family, those that are participating with us, those that are, are with us online. Uh, you know, we're, we're people who are like, we're self-sufficient. I can do it. But what happens when you've done all you can, there's nothing left to do, but your doing isn't enough. And in those moments, we, we kind of fall into our last ditch attempt effort. And for many, th this is what you do. You kind of take whatever faith you have, whatever little bit of belief you have, and you kind of just throw it up in the sky like, God help. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to do. So now, after I've done all I can to do, God, maybe, I hope, thinking, possibly, you can do something about this. And in and, and those moments, our prayers are more wishes, they're more pie-in-the-sky hopes than they are actual prayer to a God that we personally know and believe in. And so as a result, if by some miracle the prayer gets answered, we're shocked. Many of us, when God has actually heard our prayer and answered our prayer, when it was a last-ditch attempt, we look around, we're like, I can't believe that happened. I, I, I can't believe that worked. Because we didn't pray believing, we prayed wishing. And, you know, there are certain moments in life when, you, when you've done all you can, there's nothing left to do, and so you kind of throw it up in the air and be like, God, I hope. And so I think you can relate to a, uh, this ancient story. Uh, it's actually best told by a friend of mine, a guy that I, I really respect, Mark Batterson, who wrote a book called The Circle Maker. He opens up the, his book and bases it on this kind of ancient story that's been carried down in legends by, of a guy named Honai, who is this eccentric sage who lives on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem, uh, first century BC. So around 100 BC, what's specific and interesting about that season in the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem is uh, first that they hadn't had rain in over a year. So two planting seasons, they haven't had rain. When you don't have rain in two planting seasons, you're at risk of losing a generation. 
Meaning it's not just that you're losing one crop, it's that you've put all the seed in the ground, you've spent all of your money buying crops, and you could lose everything. So you could lose an entire generation. A nation is at risk. And then uh, another interesting thing about the context around 100 BC is that not only have they not had rain in one year, but they haven't heard of miracles or anyone preaching about the things of God in about 300 years. The last time a prophet, a pastor, spoke and preached powerfully in the nation of Israel was around 400 BC, a guy named Malachi, who was a prophet sent by God to speak the word of God to them. And that's 300 years earlier. Since then, they have not experienced any miracles. No one has stood up and said, I know God is speaking to me. I know God is speaking to you. Nobody has stood up and said, God answered my prayer. And in a context where for 300 years, nobody believes that God is at work, hearing their prayers, doing anything actively in their country or in their lives. And now it's been over a year since they've had rain. This little eccentric sage comes out into the middle of the city center, and he's stands and loudly prays, and he gets some attention. People gather around him to kind of find out what's happening, and his prayer is very simple. He says, God, I am not moving from this spot until you send rain. And everyone around, probably raising eyebrows, is like, good luck, dude. They're going to die in that spot, probably starved to death. But he, he gets more emphatic. He takes the staff in his hand and he puts it on the ground and he begins to draw a circle and, and he begins to just draw it and he goes 90 degrees and then 180 degrees and then 270 degrees and 360 degrees. He, God, I am not leaving this circle until you send rain. People just stood and watched and wondered. But as he knelt down to pray, a sprinkle began to fall from the sky. A sprinkle they hadn't felt in over a year. But it was nothing more than a sprinkle, and so he raised his voice, never having opened his eyes. And he says, God, not for such a rain as this have I prayed, but a rain that would fill our cisterns and feed our, fill, our fields. And it shifted from a sprinkle to a torrent, And the rain began to fall so heavy that the people feared a flash flood and they ran for their lives, some of them even retreating into the temple. Honai never moved from his circle. And he continued to pray, God, not for such a rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor and your graciousness. And the torrents shifted to that sweet rain, the rain that you so appreciate and enjoy when your yard is, you know, nothing but yellow grass. And you're like, man, we really need some rain. Not just a light little sprinkle that quickly dissipates, nor the heavy torrents that wash everything away, but that sweet, refreshing rain. And and the people, they came back out with their heads raised to the heavens, watching as if diamonds were falling from the sky. And this story becomes legend. Honai becomes legendary. And from that moment, they're, they're, they're reminded of this guy who's the circle maker who prays audacious prayers, prayers that appeal to a, a rain-sending, nation-changing God. 
And I wonder how many of us, we don't pray like that. We spend our time praying small little prayers because we lack any confidence or courage and we turn to God, a God, only in moments when we're most desperate having exhausted all of our options and we go, God, where are you? Can you help? Maybe you could do something to fix my desperate situation. Interestingly, Honai was dragged into the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the religious rulers of that time. They were also the political rulers of that time. They brought him in and they began to question him and then criticize him and then condemn him. Who do you think you are? You arrogantly demanding God to hear your prayers. Never mind that God actually sent rain for the first time in a year Never mind that the man put himself on the line by drawing a circle and saying, God, I'm not going to move. Who do you think you are praying such ridiculous, audacious prayers? It, It makes me wonder if that Sanhedrin gave way, maybe their children, maybe their great grandchildren, maybe their great great grandchildren, who became part of the same Sanhedrin that called Jesus in and said, who do you think you are healing a crippled man on the Sabbath day? Who do you think you are healing the sick, giving sight to the blind and raising the dead? That's not how God works. The same Sanhedrin maybe, who called Jesus followers in after they had them arrested, brought them in to the court of law and stood there and threatened them. These religious leaders who called in Peter and John after having them arrested and they questioned them. Peter and John were devout followers of Jesus. They, they just believed what Jesus said. And so one day after Jesus had died and resurrected and sent his Holy Spirit, Peter and John were on their way to a prayer meeting. And on their way, they met a man who was desperately in need and he was crippled in his legs and he was out begging. He looked at them and they looked back And when you look back at a beggar, you feel obligated to give something. And so they said to the man, look, we don't have any money, but what we have, we're going to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And spiritual, physical strength came over the man's legs and he did what any one of us would do if we had been crippled our whole life and now we walk, we would jump up to our feet, start running around like crazy going, look what God did, God healed me. And that's exactly what he was doing, running around shouting and praising God, worshiping God and a crowd gathered around, what's happening? So Peter and John took the opportunity to say, look, we didn't heal him, God healed him. The God who revealed himself through Jesus Christ healed this man. That's how he stands before you today. And thousands of people said, we want what you have that that man received. As a result, the religious leaders grew jealous. They had Peter and John arrested, dragged into the court of law, and they began to question him, in whose name and in what power did you do these things? And they said, look, the only thing we can tell you is there's no other name but Jesus under heaven, given to men by which anyone can be saved. And he sent the Holy Spirit in power, and it's him who has done these miracles. The Sanhedrin, looking at these two men with their crazy courage, they decided, well, you know, it's really obvious to everyone that said that this miracle happened, so we can't kill them right now, but here's what we're gonna do. So they threatened them. They said, don't you dare tell anyone about Jesus ever again. If you do, next time, 
we are probably going to kill you. And if we don't kill you, we're going to at least beat you. And they left. And that's where our story picks up, and I'm going to bring it to you. It's recorded in the historical narrative of the early church. In your Bible, it's called Acts, which is abbreviated from the Acts of the Apostles by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we're going to pick up right there. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And what would you do in that moment? What have you done when someone insulted you, someone offended you, someone hurt you, when you've done everything you could do, but your doing isn't enough, and now you're desperate, threatened, hurt, offended, broken, mistreated? What do you do in those moments? How have you responded? Here's what they do. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It's interesting what they did not do. They didn't get a lobbying group to go and appeal to the Sanhedrin to change the rules. They didn't gather up a majority to vote out the current Sanhedrin to get a new Sanhedrin in place. They didn't wax politically angry. They didn't post memes and put all kinds of hateful Facebook stuff out there. They didn't leverage all of their resources to change the current climate. They didn't do everything they could do to fix the problems and point the fingers and judge everyone and anyone. Here's the people. They're the most marginalized in society. And you know what they do? Their first line of response was to gather together and pray. And I want to challenge you. Most of us, our last line of defense is to pray. So it's desperate and broken and weak and pathetic. We pray to an unknown God, a generic prayer, and it's kind of pie-in-the-sky wish. But these guys, in a desperate crisis situation, before they did anything else, they gathered to pray. And the principle that we see running throughout sacred history, as recorded in the Bible, is this. And I would encourage you as you're taking notes today, this is what you're gonna write down. This is hopefully what is gonna go from your hand, what you've written, to your head, what you remember, what settles into your heart, what you become, that becomes a habit that you live out. It's this, pray big prayers. Be willing to be the first to fail because you're the first to ask. The whole theme of this first to fail series is that we're willing to jump out first, even if it means our failure, even if it means our foolishness. Honai looked like an idiot. He was the first to fail. He was the guy who draws a circle and says, I'm not moving until God sends rain. And everyone around is looking like, dude, I ain't doing that. I'm going to at least get some food out of the deal. i got to plant myself in a circle. And these guys, the earliest followers of Jesus, the first to pray, the first to get out there, the first to be willing to fail, even to put their life on the line at all costs. And yet, we pray weak, wimpy, 
small prayers because very often we're not only asking as a last ditch attempt, we're asking without confidence because we're asking and appealing to a God that we don't genuinely really believe hears us and listens. We feel a little bit like the people in Honai's time that we don't remember God doing miracles in our life. We can't remember the last time we actually heard the word of God in our life. We, we feel like it's been a drought season And so we kind of throw our prayers up to a generic, nameless, faceless, unknowable God. And every one of us start off that way. Why? Because we've been cut off from relationship with God. We pray empty prayers because we're praying who we believe to an empty heaven because we don't know God because there is this nature inside of us called sin that has cut us off from relationship with God. Sin, this drive inside of us that leads us to make decisions that produce behavior that leads us in the opposite direction of God. Sin, this force inside of us that severs relationship from God. As a result, we live separated from God, pursuing our own self-interest, living out lifestyles of our own desires and our own making, and since we don't know God, we don't pray to the God who is knowable. Sin, which not only severs relationship from God, but leaves us on a trajectory toward destruction and eternal judgment, where we are on our way toward eternal ruin. But God... God did not leave us living a life where we pray empty prayers to what we believe is an empty heaven. No, God intervened in our story by becoming one of us so that when we pray, we can pray to a knowable God who has a name and is personal and is loving and is caring and active in our lives so that our prayers shift to prayers that are big so that we can pray maybe just a little bit like the prayers we read from the earliest disciples. Listen to this in Acts chapter four, and I'm gonna read to you starting in verse 24, the way these guys prayed. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here's how they pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God, we're appealing to you, the creator of the universe. You're, you're the one who fashioned everything that is. You're all powerful. You're, you're awesome and you're present and you're the creator. You spoke. We can know your word. We can hear your voice. By the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of your servant, our father David, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. He has a name. We not only appeal to you, God, the creator of the whole universe, who has revealed himself through the person of the Holy Spirit and has regularly spoken to us by the Holy Spirit, but we know that you also revealed yourself by becoming one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. God, that's who we're talking to. It's as though they're listing his credentials. God, we know who you are. We know your name. We know how you work. We know your strength. We know your power. And then this is, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. God, now, would you look down at this situation we're in? And and here's your takeaway. In order to pray big prayers, we have to pray personally. Not generically, not empty, 
not nameless prayers, not, not big, wide, vague prayers. I, I, you know, I, this is tough because I don't want to criticize how you pray. I'm trying to teach you from the word of God. But when I, when I read this, I go, they were really clear. They went down the list. God, we know who you are. You're the creator of all things. We, we know that you speak through the whole, your Holy Spirit. We know that you have revealed yourself through Jesus Christ. You are the Lord of my life. And now I'm asking you to intervene in this situation. And in just a moment, I'm gonna read to you. They get ultra specific. And I think that we pray such broad, vague, big prayers, meaning I say big in the sense of generic prayers because we don't really know if God is going to do it. We don't really know whether we even believe that he will answer our prayers, and so we kind of just throw it up as a last-ditch attempt. But God intervened in our story by becoming one of us. Jesus Christ comes to earth. His express purpose is to take the sins of the world on himself, the death sentence that is placed on every one of us as a consequence for sin, the judgment of eternity that every one of us are facing. He took it collectively. He heaped it on himself so that when Jesus Christ died, he paid the penalty for our eternal judgment. He paid the debt of our sin so that Jesus Christ dying once for all set us free so that never again would anyone have to die as the punishment for their own sin. Now, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith has their sins forgiven, guilt and shame removed, and in place of the sin, God's eternal invisible spirit comes and makes his home in our eternal invisible spirit. When God's spirit is alive in our spirit, there is a reuniting of our life in connection with God that was cut off because of sin. And when we are reunited in relationship with God, our life becomes personally connected to God because God's spirit alive in our spirit, which makes us truly and eternally alive. His spirit making it deeply personal and intimate between us and God. Now, when you pray, you pray personally. You're talking to the God you know by name. You're talking to a God that you've experienced, a God that you interact with, right? I, my wife and I, we've been together 23 years. We've been married for 17 years. Yes, I dated my wife for five and a half years. And I, was, I, I can say confidently, but we did it right. We honor God in our dating experience, in our marriage experience. And, 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 but here's the thing, you know, it's funny. Uh, for Laura and I, 23 years, um, we have never run out of things to talk about. Now, there are times when I know that we have to sit down and talk. Like, we got to work something through, right? But most of the time, we just talk because we spent 23 years together. She's my best friend. More than I'm mean, wanting to talk to anybody else, I want to talk to my wife. And, and, and so here's the thing, right? Like, I don't talk to her out of obligation. I don't talk to her because that's the rules of the road. I talk to her because of relationship. We pray personally in relationship with God, not out of religion and not because of the rules. You have an opportunity to have access to the creator of the universe who is in all places at all times and capable of intervening in every situation. You've been given access to God through prayer in faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died and rose again so that you could have relationship with God. And, and we spend our time praying empty prayers or wimpy prayers or, or little generic prayers? No. 
You come to God in prayer as though he's your best friend and you can open up your life to him. You can pray audaciously. You can pray vulnerably. You can be authentic in prayer. It should become a lifestyle of prayer, an ongoing relationship with God. This should become your lifestyle of prayer every day. Not because you have to, because you want to, and sometimes it's because you recognize that you need to. I need to talk with you, God. The more desperate my calendar, the more difficult the situations I'm gonna face, the more I have to make sure that the first thing I do is get my connection with God right, that I get in a relationship with God, that we're having a conversation today. That means that I, cannot, I not only come to God and give my day to him, I, I commit my day and I commit my ways to God, but I also take time to listen, to wait on God. I, I know that can sound a little weird for some of you going, wait, you mean to tell me like, you hear voices? Look, what, um, I know that there is a real God who is active in our lives, who loves us, and his Holy Spirit is alive in my spirit, which means there's some spiritual relationship that we have. And, and this is why I often say when, we, when, when I believe that God is speaking to me, because he's speaking to me in the spiritual realm, what happens in my mind, in my emotions, is I feel something and I think something. So God is speaking to my spirit, but the way that it feels is there's something different going on inside of me. It's as if I have a mental impression. There's a thought that I didn't come up with on my own, and I believe it came from God. Right? But this is happening in the spiritual realm. Yes, I believe that you can have a spiritual relationship with God that creates a spiritual conversation, and that you actually can hear from heaven. Begin to develop an ongoing relationship with God. Here's what happens. And you spend time with God in prayer on an ongoing basis. It, you begin to allow God to impress himself on you. God is not necessarily impressed by how much you pray. Prayer is about God impressing himself on you. And when God impresses himself on you by his spirit, you begin to develop an understanding of the heart of God and the will of God and the desires of God so that your prayers become more in alignment with what God wants to do and what God is doing so that then you rightly understand what Jesus was teaching when he spoke what was recorded by uh, his disciple John in the gospel according to John chapter 15 verse seven where Jesus is speaking and, it's, and he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if there's relationship between you and God, right, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This isn't just like a lottery ticket. This is saying when you're in relationship with God, then when you pray, you pray the will of God. You're praying according to the heart of God and God wants to do what he's already put in you that he desires to do in and through your life. And, and so we go back and we look at the way these, this early church prayed, which is an incredible prayer. Let, let me read it to you. Listen, listen to how these guys pray. This is bold, confident, radical prayers. Acts chapter four, verse 29 through 30. And this is what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They just came out of the court and they were told, don't you talk about Jesus anymore. Don't tell anyone about Jesus anymore. Don't, you, don't, don't do anything to make a scene. And they're like, now Lord, would you look down at their threats and would you give us the courage and the boldness to preach your word uh, powerfully, to preach about you. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus to pray big prayers, pray boldly. 
pray with boldness. I appreciate uh, Mark Batterson in his book. He talks about the, the Honine, you know, this bold guy who just says, God, I'm gonna ask you for rain and I'm gonna ask you to save a nation. And you know, we have a nation in drought. We have a nation for too long, feels like they've gone without hearing the voice of God and seeing the hand of God. And so we pray desperately. And when, so when I encourage you, I'm, I'm asking you to pray boldly for great things from God in your life, in your home, in your community, in our city, in our nation, in our generation. Bold prayer, bold prayers um, honor God. That's why God honors bold prayers. If the prayers you ask are not impossible for you, they might possibly be insulting to God. If you can answer the prayers you pray, you're not praying by faith. Ask for impossible things. Ask for great things. Ask God to do the impossible. Ask God to heal our land and to save a nation, to transform your home and to heal your marriage. Ask God to do what only God can do so that when he does it, it's obvious to everyone that he did it. Here's a little bit of the way God instructed us to pray. There's lots of examples throughout scripture of how we're taught to pray, but this is just one of my favorites because it gives you a tiny little glimpse of the way God teaches us to pray boldly. It's Psalm chapter two, verse eight. He says, ask of me, ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. You'd ask me, I might give you a nation. What, for you to do what you want? No, no, no. For God to do what he wants in that nation. And the ends of the earth, your possession. He's saying, I desire to reveal myself to the world. And if you begin to ask me for your nation, for a generation, for me to be at work in your world and across the world, then I will show up and you will see people become an inheritance in eternity. God desires to transform the world we live in. God is at work to reveal himself. And when you begin to pray like this, you begin to pray with courage, you begin to to pray with boldness. You begin to pray with passion. We stop praying wimpy little pathetic prayers that are all egocentric, all about what I want and what I desire. We begin to be transformed. Our perspective is inverted, so we begin to look outward and say, God, would you do a miracle among us? Would you transform our nation? We begin to pray for others. We begin to pray for their needs, and I've heard people criticize this, you know, Throughout the different crises that go on in the world, in our nation, we, we'll post something up there that says, you know, hashtag praying for Orlando, hashtag today praying for Milwaukee, or hashtag, you know, praying for some natural, people affected by a natural disaster, and others will criticize, well, that, that's all you got? I mean, you're just going to put up, hey, I'm going to pray for you? And I, and inside of me hurts a little bit. Here's why, because you know who I'm praying to? I mean... Hashtag pray, pray for Baltimore. God created the land Baltimore is built on. The every, every breath that every person who lives in Baltimore breathes was a gift from heaven. 
Like, I'm appealing to the creator of the universe who is at work through his Holy Spirit and revealed himself through Jesus Christ. I know that my prayers reach the ear of God and move the hand of God, and God is at work in our generation. God is the history-writing God. This isn't some pithy little last-chance hope. I pray first, and I'm willing to be first to fail in prayer because at least I ask God something great in my generation. We believe God does great things. And then, you know, this story in Acts chapter four, it concludes with this, this last part, and this is essential before you wrap this up. Don't check out on me. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Did you catch it? They prayed big prayers personally to a knowable God, boldly, and then they asked God to include them in the response to the answer to that prayer, and they were willing to join in the miracle. You can't ask for revival in our nation unless part of you is also saying, revive me. You can't ask God to heal your marriage and then go back and mistreat your spouse. When you pray for your marriage to be healed, what you're saying is, God, do a miracle in my marriage, do a miracle in my heart, give me the radical kind of love that would heal my home. God, there is a need in a person that I drive by every day. Would you do a miracle in their life? Now help me become part of that miracle. So the reason why some people are rightly critical of a church that says we're praying for is that we're also not doing anything about. Because we cooperate with God in his miracle response. We are not the response, but we are cooperative in God's response. Do not cower right now. Some of you are like, well, I don't want to be part of the answer. And so now you're going to back down from praying big prayers. Pray personally to a knowable God who has revealed himself to you through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Pray boldly, but then be willing to yield and become part of that miracle. We want to show you that this is personal. This is right at work within LifeHouse. We asked one of our LifeHousers to share her story of how God responded in prayer. So check this out. Hi, I'm Cassie, and I was born in Shaman, China and adopted at eight months old, and I've lived in Pennsylvania my whole life. And while I grew up in the church, it wasn't until the age of 10 that I began to view God as a God with um, someone I could have a very strong, personal, intimate relationship with. And then in 2013, what I thought was just the common cold was actually the beginning of the fight for my life. My body drastically declined, and um, I became as dependent as a newborn baby. I struggled with partial paralysis. My organs weren't functioning. The doctors were concerned about my brain because I had had a fever for six months. Um, I couldn't feed myself, couldn't go to the bathroom. My joints were inflamed and bright red. And while I was going through this, I spent many nights um, awake, screaming in anger, crying out to the Lord with extreme bitterness and hurt. The Lord asked me this question and he said, if I choose not to heal you, will you still love me? And I said, no. So the Lord said to me, he's like, Cassie, you can either go through hard times and come out on the other side and act like nothing ever happened, or you can go through hard times, come out on the other side and share about what I did through everything. And so then I was able to say that if this experience is what I needed to go through to be this close with the Lord and this intimate with the Lord, then maybe it was all worth it. It has been over a year since I have had any symptoms or any pain, and I truly believe the Lord has healed me. 
just really want people to understand the power of prayer and the heart that our Father has for us. I believe that God wants to work personally and powerfully in each one of our lives. God wants to do signs, wonders, and miracles among us. That God wants you to, to bring you into a place where you know him personally and intimately. So I'm going to invite you to respond right now. For some of you, you, you don't know God in personal relationship. It's been religion for you. It's been rules for you, but it hasn't been relationship. And so for you, would you make that decision? I believe in Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I'm willing to believe in him by faith. I'm willing to repent and ask him to forgive me of my sins and give me new life and allow his spirit to live in my spirit. If that's where you're at, would you take this moment right now? Would you make it personal? Would you begin to pray to a personal, knowable God who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ? Others of you, this is your moment where maybe you, you, you've been a Christian, you've done church and you've gone through the motions, but it's, it's not been vibrant, life-giving relationship. And today you're like, I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I, I, I'm believing that God hears me and God wants to do the miraculous in my life and through my life. I'm willing to become part of that. Would you begin to open your heart right now, allow God's Spirit to begin to speak to you personally? begin to pray a prayer of surrender would you take a moment right now would you just begin to pray and allow God's spirit to speak to you thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church located in Hagerstown Maryland we believe that through Christ life change happens here so we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org